family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Jotting down notes until the final buzzer. That's Jesse Rubinoff. I'm Tim McAuliffe. This is Tim and Friends for Monday, April 25th, 2022. And we are more jacked than Kyle Schwarber after an Angel Hernandez call. See that? I just beat up my microphone. We're with you for the next two and a half hours as game day starts right here on Tim and Friends. Not only are we the pregame to the pregame for the lid lifter of a four-game series between the Jays and the Red Sox at the Dome, but we are giving you a bonus half hour of the kind of gluten-free goodness that you have come to expect from Tim and whoever as we take you to game five of the Raptors and Sixers, which is coming to you live on Sportsnet at WWE Raw. Hometown Hockey, I think you've got yourself a show. We'll get into if Joel Embiid is a front runner or the real deal. If Ben Simmons just quit on the Nets before ever even playing a game. If the Jays rotation is settling down and if Vladdy is on the verge of a monster season. We'll also weigh in on if two seed, if the two seed in the Pacific means anything to the Oilers, and if the Leafs wins and losses over a three-game road trip mean much. There was a heavyweight fight that ended with a champ challenging an MMA fighter, and it seems like everyone in the world is pissed at the referees in the NBA. And then there's Angel Hernandez. We've got something brewing for Angel Hernandez on social. You're going to want to see that. But to be honest, I, I kind of feel, Jesse, like, well, like the 14-year-old German Twitch kid who throws a rave every time he gets bounced. What's the conversation with the parents and or neighbors? That's what I would like to know. That's me in my head when the show starts. That's real fire in the back, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it is. Kids, don't do that at home, please. He's an expert, though. This, kid, this kid's a big deal. Oh, he is a big deal. Yeah. Cross mouse? That's, I'm having like a hard time. Look at the lights are giving me some... <laughs> <laughs> we will try and keep that energy, but two and a half hours might be tough. Either way, the jump <laughs> off is first on. things first. All right, give them the best, Country Joe West. First things first. I'm ready to go. Good. You should be. We just game got five. all jacked up. Game five. That kid got me fired up. It's game five between the Raptors and Sixers, and it's coming up in about three hours here on Sportsnet. The Raptors, of course, staying alive with a 110-102 victory on Saturday behind 34 points from Pascal Siakam. do that in but, studio. But do what in studio? The kid just did. Oh, yeah. Yes. Goes without saying. Not floaters in the lane or hurt your hip. It takes some no. planning. Uh, they lost Fred Van Vliet in that game. He's been diagnosed with a strained left hip flexor and will not play tonight. Fred broke the news himself at shoot-around this morning. I'm out tonight. I um, was able to get an MRI. Um, you know, nothing uh, too major, thank God. But uh, definitely showing uh, just a hip flexor strain. So um, I'll be out tonight, kind of take it day by day and go from there. Presuming you guys extend the series, you know, what's your... Do you think he could be back for a game six? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know, Mike. I think um, I would, I'm always going to leave that window open. You know, it's not one of those things where I'm out for four weeks. Uh, it'll probably take, you know, some time. Um, hopefully we can extend this thing and, um, 
I, w I would feel great about, you know, maybe playing in the next round. I know um, nobody believes we can do it, but I think we can. That was Grange, right? First name basis. Mm -hmm. Or a nickname, short name, Mike. Mike Grange. That's a nickname? Yeah, I guess. Well, whatever it is. Short name. Uh, okay, Fred believes in the Raptors despite... You have to call him Michael Moore all the time? Just his name. I don't know. It's Yeah, he's Michael Grange. I've never heard him uh, Mike Grange before. Do you believe in the Raptors tonight in Game 5? I know Fred believes. Mm -hmm. But losing your all-star point guard in the playoffs is a severe blow, right? Like an all-star point guard that plays that many minutes. Like that is as severe a blow as you can get in a postseason series. Is it not? Like if you're going to knock out one guy, your lone all-star for the season who just happens to be your point guard is a massive blow. I actually don't think it's that big of a deal considering what Fred Van Vliet has been post-all-star break. And he is the leader. He is the on-court leader. He's the off-court leader. He'll be leading tonight when he's on the bench. But the Fred Van Vliet that we see, we have seen post-all-star break due to the knee issues, and now he's got the hip, is not the same Fred Van Vliet that we saw prior to the All-Star break. So I think, potentially, this could be a silver lining for the Raptors. I don't know if it's a silver lining, but for those thinking that Jesse's absolutely smoking some good stuff right now, <laughs> I'm going to back him up with some stats here. Um, listen, they're 9-8 and eight without Fred Van Vliet mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. They're 39-26 and 26 with him in the lineup. But... Pre-All-Star versus post-All-Star is something interesting. And I'm just going to go pre-All-Star to this series and what he has been against the Sixers. Pre-All-Star to this series, his drives are down 40%. Mm -hmm. His touches are down 33%. And his paint touches are down 50%. Fred Van Vliet, pre-All-Star, led the Toronto Raptors in plus-minus. He was a plus-179. In this series, he's a minus-40. So, Jesse, although you came with saying that he looked different, I have provided the backdrop for which you can make those statements. I mean, look at that board. That tells the whole story. I mean, we shouldn't get this twisted because Fred Van Vliet, obviously, everybody knows what he means to the Raptors. But this current version of Fred Van Vliet is not the same player. And we've seen that time and time again over the last three months or so. Okay, but he still wins above replacement, is he not? Sure, but... So who's going to play? You're That's gonna, what I'm asking you. Like, so is Malachi Flynn in there? I, I, is Delano Banton in there? Maybe for spells, but I think the majority of it is going to be Scotty Barnes and, and Pascal Siakam having the ball. And you saw what they are capable of doing at the end of Game 4, in the second half of Game 4. Like It didn't look like the Raptors were overwhelmed in that moment. They were without Fred Van Vliet during that time. And I think you saw what Scotty brings to the table, how much, how important okay, it is having him back in the lineup. In that game, now yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think Scotty Barnes is wins above replacement. He found a way, even mm -hmm. though he did not look close to 100 percent, to make an impact in that game, and he did so on the boards. He had 11 rebounds in that game. The so even though he was one of six, yeah. but like I've got to hammer you down. Like I gave you all of the stats to back up what you said. Mm -hmm. But I still think the wins above replacement, like you're stretching here. 
Like, it is going to be. I don't know if it's Malachi Flynn. I don't know if it's finally Masai Ujiri is embracing the 6-9 and die. Mm -hmm. Like, he is just going to go with all bigs all game long, and that's what you're going to see. But I think losing your point guard in the postseason is just going to have to make a team that is used to scrapping scrap even more. Like, I think you throw Precious into the starting lineup once again. Scotty now hopefully is good enough to start, mm. and there's your starters, and it's Gary Trent Jr. But now all of a sudden, Matisse Thibel can match up with Gary Trent Jr., and you're asking Scotty and Pascal to play not point guard in the regular season, but point guard in the postseason. And you're just taking away another piece of the layer that makes the Raptors good when you take away Fred Van Vliet. And though he has not been close to the same Fred Van Vliet, mm -hmm. is he not better than the replacement? I think Malachi Flynn will get minutes in this game. And if he does anything in those early minutes, it'll determine whether or not he stays in. But to suggest that the Raptors are, listen, Vegas knows they're seven and a half point dogs. Mm -hmm. And if Fred was in the lineup, I bet you would be less. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the main points is that Freddie brings shooting and that the Raptors have struggled considerably as a shooting team the entire season. And it's just one more now where the Sixers can sort of fall back into a zone and dare the Raptors to shoot. And you right. have one less threat from three. Like if, what happens if Gary doesn't have a good, a good game? Because you saw how valuable he was right. from outside in game four. If, right. if he's off, they're going to struggle to score. They're going to struggle to score. Thaddeus Young was really good in breaking down the zone. Oh, is that sustainable? Amazing. Can you continue that? Yeah. Will you be able to do The one offsetting point in all this is that we don't know what Joel Embiid is. 21 mm -hmm. points, struggled from the line, was bitching about the officials. The torn ligament in his thumb has been confirmed. He will have surgery at the end of the uh, season, whenever the hell that happens. He said it hurts him when he's trying to rebound and when he's shooting free throws. It worked in the free throws. He was 7 of 9 on the rebounding. He didn't rebound all that well, and that's one of the keys for the Toronto Raptors is how they rebound in this series. Yes. And if Joel Embiid goes from 13 a game to 8 a game, really helps the Raptors. Here's the thing that confuses me about Embiid right now. Game three in the second half, he had hurt his thumb already. You yes. could already see him playing with his thumb. And he was unbelievable in the second half of game three. What was the difference between game three and game four? If he had already hurt his thumb, say that you, affected him. Say you think he's a front runner. Well, you could see by his reaction to the referees that he's a bit of a front runner. When things go Say sideways, you think he's a front runner. Yes, when, things, when it goes well, he is the cock of the walk. The chest is out. He is jacked. And when it doesn't go well, he's sarcastically clapping oh, at the officials, pissed off, and doing the very thing that he respectfully said, Nick Nurse. Stop bitching at calls. He did the exact same thing. That's where we're at, is it not? It is. Why don't we hear what he had to say about the officials uh, after the game? Because we saw him walking off the floor, like you said, doing the sarcastic clap, and he had some. You things mean the to thing say. that he got fined fifteen thousand yes, dollars for exactly. today? That's exactly right. Okay. Let's have a listen. I admire the job that they did today. Um, to me, felt like they had one job. You know, coming in here uh, tonight, and uh, they got it done. So, congrats to them. And I. Can I infer that the job was to make sure there's a game five? I don't know, but <laughs> you can. Uh, I'm not. I don't. I really don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm, you can figure it out. Sure. Uh, but uh, they, they did a great job. Uh, uh, I'm not going. Like I said, I'm not going. I'm going to take my own advice and not complain about it. 
guy's such a good villain. Was that worth 15k? What did he say? I, I, I honestly, I don't even want to pay attention to any of the fines that these leagues are doling out these days because <laughs> none, of, none of them make any sense. No, it is ridiculous. But this guy is hilarious. Like even going back to the to 2019 when the Raptors played the Sixers, like he's doing the airplane thing when they're up, and yep. then when he loses, he he cries and he complains. Like this is who Joel Embiid is, and this is part of what makes him such an amazing villain for the team that is going up against him. Right. Like he's all over the map. It's which, awesome. Which Joel Embiid shows up and which James Harden, who, let's be honest, oh, hasn't Tim. been the same James Harden that you once knew, will determine whether or not the Raptors get this series back to Toronto. Um, can I just point out James Harden uh, is averaging 19.3 points per game in this series. That is the lowest since 2012 when he was a member that's, of the Thunder. That's not the number. The shooting percentage is the number. The shooting percentage is 37 and a half, which is a career low in the playoffs. That's the number. Like, play him straight up, because he's just not the same player that he once was. Like, helping, and then when he drives and he kicks, that's his strength, right? Right. That has always been his strength. Mm -hmm. Play him straight up. You have the bodies to do it. Yeah, without a doubt. So, if either of those guys show up, I think the Raptors' season is over. I mean really show up. I think the Raptors season is over. If they can keep Embiid under wraps and keep James Harden shooting under 40%, he's only shot over 50% once in the series, yeah. and that was the game, game three, and he only attempted 13 shots from the field. So, listen, um, the Raptors have done some better things in the last two games. We'll see if that continues in game number five, and we'll see if the whistle continues mm -hmm. in game number five on the road, because let's be honest... I believe, and listen, this didn't, this didn't play out uh, at least last game. Eh, maybe it did play out last game in the Pelicans. And, but the, the officials are human beings. And sometimes that home crowd will affect a whistle. Totally. Way more than anyone wants to admit. No question about that. So that might change, Raptor fans, is what I'm trying to warn you. Is the officials, the whistle may change yeah. a little bit in Philadelphia as opposed to what you saw in game number four and maybe to a lesser extent game number three. Going to have to take the early hits, like the early momentum hit. Yeah. And there's going to be some foul calls. You know what? Uh, what about Doc? Final thing. Doc Rivers, the only coach in NBA history to blow three 3-1 three leads. And we are currently at 3-1. Do you read anything <laughs> into that? Does that count? Because I know I Nick know. Nurse said no one's done the 3-0 thing, but 3-1 has yeah. been done. Been done 13 times in NBA history. Three of them have come under Doc Rivers' watch. Like I, I can't imagine what's going to go through Doc Rivers' head if they lose tonight. If they lose tonight, if the Philadelphia 76ers lose tonight, the pressure will mount <laughs> on Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid and all that front-runner talk, and James Harden. Like, if you think Ben Simmons is getting killed right now by the media south of the border, if the Toronto Raptors get this one tonight, somehow find a way to win without Fred Van Vliet in the lineup, I guarantee you all the talking heads in the United States of America will take out their fodder cannon and they will point it right at Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, and James Harden, and we'll see if this team is front runners. We'll see if they have the kind of moxie that it takes to win in the marathon that is the NBA playoffs. Because I guarantee you, if they lose tonight, pressure goes to 11 on that team, and you never know what happens. Spit and fire. You mentioned uh, Ben Simmons as we stay with the NBA. The Brooklyn Nets uh, could be the only team swept in the first round because... 
The Nets and Simmons, who is yet to play, are down three zip heading into tonight's game four against the Celtics. Now, last week, there were reports that Simmons would make his Nets debut tonight, but yesterday he was ruled out because of back issues. Heading into the season, it was hard to imagine the Nets being swept in the first round, but Tim, here we are. Who should take the blame in Brooklyn? Everyone. Like, this may be another American talking head fodder cannon thing where you just line up someone and everyone determines whoever is going to stay there doesn't get blamed and whoever is not going to be there gets blamed or whoever is the juiciest to blame should be blamed. All of them. Kevin Durant should be blamed. Kyrie Irving should be blamed. Ben Simmons should be blamed. They're all Steve Nash has been outcoached in this series, and you could argue he's got the best, planet, best player on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you something. There, there have been a lot of excuses from the Ben Simmons camp. And you can choose believe any which one of them that you would like, whether it's mental fatigue, whether it's the back issues. I can tell you what the rest of the NBA thinks about Simmons, and it's that he's a spoiled brat and that he quit on LSU, he quit on the Sixers, and he just quit on the Nets before he's even played a game for them. My guy is going to have to work extra hard to get that stain off, and from my, what I hear, working extra hard isn't <laughs> part of his repertoire. So Ben Simmons saying he's not going to play in game four, man, is that a blow that the rest of the NBA did not want to hear. And I'm going to quote Woj here. Simmons' admission from his column today. Simmons' admission at the team practice facility was met with surprise and disappointment on the brink of a sweep to the Celtics. The Nets had hoped Simmons would be in uniform and active with the hope of Steve Nash using him in limited minute sources said. While Nash and players publicly said they were unsure whether Simmons would play in game four on Monday, Simmons and the organization had discussed at length a plan for his debut to come Monday in game four at the Barclays Center, sources said. Do, do, how are Woj's sources usually, Jesse? Pretty accurate, I would say. This was a man who ruined drafts because his sources would tell him who was going to be drafted before the off. commissioner yeah, that's right. actually announced him. This, is, this guy's sources are usually impeccable mm -hmm. and they are all pointing at Ben Simmons saying I'm no good meaning he didn't want any of this smoke and the rest of the NBA is not going to forget this uh, are we sure a Ben Simmons that hadn't played all year would really make a difference like it's possible the six the Celtics are just nope. better the Celtics might just be better. Their defense is insane. Who, who warned you the entire second half of the season that the Celtics were really good? Yeah, brought real. up their defense. It's crazy. And they're led by the defensive player of the year now, Marcus. Say Smith. it again for me. You brought up their defense. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're there we go. well coached. They're deep. They play really hard at both ends. They're really, really good. They're now the favorites, by the way, odds-wise, to make it out of the East. Jason Tatum done grown up. Jalen Brown, done grown up, and they did it in like a year. It's crazy. You saw the flashes, but Tatum's decided that he's going to be one of those dudes, and he is mm -hmm. absolutely, positively one of those dudes, and Jalen Brown ain't that far behind. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that he'd make a difference, but I do know that the rest of the dudes in the NBA right now are looking at Ben Simmons going, you got to at least try. You have right. Kevin Durant, like, this isn't the NBA Finals, but Kevin Durant came back and ended up tearing his Achilles to make a, 
any sort of impact that he mm-hmm. could. Ben Simmons filed a grievance for $20 million against the 76ers yeah, that's and it. hasn't played all year long. Like Difficult look. One of these things is not like the other. That's correct. Uh, tough look for Ben Simmons. Okay, let's go to the Blue Jays, uh, who were so close to a sweep in Houston. Scotty Barnes came back. Scotty Barnes came back. Um, but the Jays, they came away with another series victory after Jeremy Pena's walk-off homer ended Jordan Astros Romano's. came back in that one. Yeah, save streak at 31 games on Sunday. Uh, tonight, the Jays open a 10-game homestand, starting with four games against the Red Sox. The Jays and Yankees currently tied atop the AL East at 10 and 6. What's been the most important part of their start? The most important part of this? I, I think it's about to come right now. I don't mean to flip the script on what was intended to be the question here, but I think it's coming up now. I think that a scuffling Boston team, mm-hmm. you're banged up, the Houston Astros, who are supposed to be the class of their division, and the New York Yankees, who you're tied with atop, is a nice little stretch for the Toronto Blue Jays to prove exactly what they are. And listen, the starters ERA on the season is 442. That's 20th in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. You and I and most pundits going into this season thought this starting rotation may be among, if not the best, in Major League Baseball. Well, over the last little while, that six-game road trip, that number for the starters went down to 2.76. Outside of Yusei Kikuchi, who obviously struggled mm-hmm. in the finale of that three-game set with the Astros. I wonder if the Jays starters are settling in, like many across Major League Baseball because of a shortened spring training. But I wonder if the Jays starting pitching is starting to settle in, and this would be a good time for it. Boston, gather some wins because it's never too early, as we found out last year. You got Houston again. Some nice wins over the weekend. Some nice, tight wins over the weekend. And then the New York Yankees to close it out. I, I think this is a big part. And you're doing this, of course, with injuries. And I guess Kevin Biggio has been added to that injured list. As That's he, correct. Uh, has gone to the COVID list? COVID list. The, not officially to the COVID list, but uh, there are rumors and reports out there that he will be going to the COVID list. It certainly feels like they're kind of playing with their B game right now and still managing to get victories. Like the run differential is only plus three. Yep. But here they are, uh, tied atop the American League East. Okay, we've been talking a lot about umpires last little while referees and, and umpires referees yes. and umpires officiating yeah. in all sports yeah. and Kyle Schwarber went uh, pretty ballistic on Angel Hernandez last night he's not the first person to go ballistic on Angel Hernandez and probably won't be the last but here it is uh, after a collection of horrendous Hernandez calls yes, a collection Schwarber went nuts which uh, social media obviously blew up and when things like that happen we got to engage with the audience and Tim and friends. So we went out and asked, what did Kyle Schwarber say to home plate umpire Angel Hernandez during his tirade? Wrong answers only. So we were looking for some sort of lip reading, yes. some sort of script from what was said between Kyle Schwarber and Angel Hernandez, who basically didn't say anything but stand there and listen. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, let's rifle through some uh, some answers right now. So Bernard says, uh, you must be this tall to ride this ride. <laughs> Calvin says, never put milk first for the cereal. Always cereal first, then milk. Yeah, that I, I believe in that, but way too many people make a huge deal out of those who put the milk first. Yeah, I mean, do whatever you want, but that's, it's weird to me. Who it gives is, a bleep? The, the ratio is, can be off when there's milk first, I find. Well, that's why they're putting the milk first. 
Okay, now I'm just confused. Moving on. Dave, it's the hokey pokey angel. You put your left foot in, then you spin around, and then you put your right foot in. How many times do I have to tell you? The hokey pokey as you're going with this, Dave? There's a lot. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. Sorry, what's this one say? <laughs> Brian Leach, you wouldn't know balls from strikes <laughs> if they slapped you in the face. <laughs> well done. Uh, Bort says, uh, you, sir, are an excellent umpire and equally upstanding gentleman. It has been nothing short of an absolute pleasure hearing your objective, inconsistent calls time and time again. Whether low or high, inside or out, you nail those calls every time. I, don't, I think that's sarcasm. I'm not. Yeah, it is sarcasm. Uh, Rand, Angel, I've been to Toronto. I know about milk in a bag. If you don't jam it in the container first from the top, the milk goes left and right. Mm -hmm. They all know that. We all know that. How do you not know that? That's yeah, true, Rand. <laughs> you got to put it in the container. You can't just cut it. Mike, I do not like green eggs and ham over here. I do not like them over <laughs> there. Sure I do not like them in the air. I do not like them anywhere. You have to see the video for that one to completely <laughs> hit, but I understand. Uh, I looked here for my keys. I looked there for my keys. It turns out they were over there the whole time. I got you. Very well done. Uh, send them in, kids, at Tim and Friends. Uh, what was the script that Kyle Schwaber was using if you could inject your own script on that without a doubt. Very good. Uh, that's uh, all fun. You want to go to hockey? I'm going to take we the conversation time. away I don't know from if we have time. umpires. We're yeah, we're doing it quick. Uh, it is the final <laughs> week of the NHL regular season, and the playoff picture is taking shape. The final yeah, wild card in the West is really the only spot still up for grabs, and it looks like it'll come down to the Stars and the Golden Knights. Now, Vegas wasted a massive opportunity last night, blowing a two-goal lead late in the third period and losing to the Sharks in a shootout. They're now three points back of the Stars, heading into a huge matchup tomorrow night in Dallas. Would Vegas missing the playoffs be even more disappointing than the Nets being swept in the first round? Swept in the first round? That's bleeping close, but man, does that gotta be disappointing for Vegas. I mean, Bill Foley didn't spend 90 two million dollars on players salaries this season for them to not make the playoffs like this is unbelievable mm -hmm. and listen i'll never forget what jack eichel said after his return to buffalo okay and jack eichel missing the playoffs again this time with vegas would be absolutely damning i'm just going to read you a stat since his return to buffalo the Golden Knights are 10, 9, and 2. That's a 524 points percentage. The Sabres since that point are 13, 6, <laughs> and 3, a 659 <sighs> save percentage. Excuse me, points percentage. Is he ever going to make the playoffs? Eventually he will. The he has to, yeah, but he this will. was supposed to be the layup. This was supposed to be the layup. There's going to be hell to pay in Vegas right now, and it'll be interesting to see where that Cannon fodder splash. They're not going to make it, right? Because Dallas is playing the Coyotes, and, and they're one of the worst teams of all time. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to make it. Yeah. Shame. Still to come in this extended <laughs> edition of Tim and Friends, a full Raptors pregame to the pregame with the help of Eric Smith, Kate Scott, Michael Grange, Faisal Kamisa, and more. Shai Davidi from the ballpark ahead of the Jays and Red Sox opener. And up next with the final week of the NHL regular season upon us, Frank Saravelli stops by to discuss it all. Tim and Friends on a Monday and a busy one. Let's go. Bad young. Oh, yes, he did! Trent Jr. They have one job, you know, coming in here, and uh, they got it done, so congrats to them.
Yo, Scotty! Scotty Barr, what's up, man? It's Vince Carter here. And a six foot seven rookie from West Palm Beach, Florida, my fellow Florida boy, oh, yeah. Scotty Barr. Yeah, man, congratulations, man. This is going to be the halftime entertainment, as a matter of fact, and that's uh, it's going to be Christian and Scooby. Oh, that's a great name for a dog, Scooby. How do you know the dog isn't Christian? Welcome back. The final Rogers hometown hockey stop of the season comes to you live from North Vancouver. Pretty parts. Ron Antara will be joined by Colton Sissions and Cami Granado. That's coming up 7.30. E oh, look at that. I could live there in a flash. Yes. In an absolute Everybody. 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 360, followed by the Flyers and the Hawks. Oh. Speaking of the Flyers, joining us now from suburban Philadelphia is our friend Frank Saravelli. Welcome back to the show, Mr. S oh, wait a second. A guy from Philly coming on a show emanating from Toronto. Do you have a pick in the Raptors-Sixers game tonight, Mr. Cer Mr. Cerevelli? Yes, oh, no. I think that's... Um, Sixers by that's, 20, uh, Tim. Oh, we've lost his audio. And maybe he's just been muted on purpose <laughs> because he had a Philadelphia 76ers. Can you... Can, 20. Can, let me hear it one more time. Frankie, did you say Sixers something? Sixers by 20. Oh, my goodness. Coming with absolute fire. That's a cover. That's a cover. It's yeah. seven and a half. Now, you believe that because you are a Sixers fan, because you are prognosticating from a point of no bias, and you just believe that the Fred Van Vliet injury will do them in because the home whistle will change because Joel Embiid is pissed. Uh, a Sixers by 20 is a strong call right now. Yeah, Embiid is fired up. You heard him after game four. Uh, I think he's ready to play, get another couple days to rest that thumb. And, uh, yeah, the Van Vliet injury, I think, looms large. Mm -hmm. 20. I'm feeling it. Easy cover. <laughs> right. Uh, and we know uh, from the past that when Joel Embiid gets up that things happen, right? Like, that is absolutely positively he always responds to adversity really well. <laughs> Wait a second. Maybe not so well every time. All right, let's talk about the Golden Knights responding to adversity. What's going on there? I think the latest just coming down. Is it true that Robin Leonard is out for the season now? That is correct. Yeah. The Vegas Golden Knights announcing minutes ago, Tim, that uh, Robin Leonard will undergo surgery. And sources tell me that this surgery is actually a shoulder surgery, not anything to do with his knee. Mm. Uh, we reported back on February 15th that Leonard had torn the labrum in his shoulder and would eventually need surgery. I had uh, said at the time that it was dependent on whether or not he'd try and battle through and finish the season. Obviously, he did that. And nothing but full marks and respect for Robin Leonard with what he battled through over these last number of weeks for the Vegas Golden Knights to get back and playing after the knee injury, after the shoulder injury, and to do it all, Tim, without taking any painkillers as well uh, because he's been steadfast in his journey along the way. I mean, can't really say enough good things about Robin Leonard. You're, you're saying that. Is the feeling the same in Vegas? Because there were some whispers that maybe there was some animosity there. Is that true from what you're hearing? 
animosity in what sense? Like, I, I didn't get there was the sense between any animosity between Leonard and his team. No. No, you didn't feel like there. I had heard whispers in the past that maybe that they thought that he was a little premature on when he was going to play and when he was not going to play and the calls that were being made. No such thing. No, I think any friction that existed there uh, really came from that poll in the first period a few weeks ago right. uh, when he was yanked in favor of Logan Thompson. I think going into the game, Pete DeBoer, just reading the tea leaves, really wanted to start Thompson. I don't know if he ended up being overruled in that sense, but you know, this is a shoulder injury that he's having surgery for. Think back to that goal that he gave up in the first period. It seemed to me to be a puck that he was reaching for that he just couldn't find or just right. couldn't grab. And you think of the limitation now, and it all kind of makes sense. Um, he ends up getting yanked. I can understand why, if there was any animosity, he was upset. You know, it seems pretty rare to have a team pull their goalie tied 1-1 at the end of the first period. Right. Uh, this doesn't seem like it would go over well with Bill Foley if they missed the postseason. How will this go down in Vegas? That's really what's going to be interesting. I, you know, I'm wondering how deep the changes go. I would think that given the friction that's existed there uh, between not just Robin Leonard and Pete DeBoer, but also seemingly if what I mentioned is true about Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon, it would seem like Pete DeBoer would be on his way out. Now, the bigger question is, will Kelly McCrimmon follow him? What kind of changes does Bill Foley make uh, to the hierarchy of this organization? You know, you, you think George McPhee, their president of hockey ops, has seemingly been in lockstep with Kelly McCrimmon over the last number of years, paving the way, in fact, for McCrimmon to take over as general manager. Does it reach higher than that? I think that's the big question mark. I was there the night this team was named. I was there throughout their Stanley Cup run to the final in their inaugural season. And, and you heard Bill Foley talk repeatedly about the honor of the Golden Knight and, you know, never backs down, never retreats. And that's been admirable in the way that this team has chased their Stanley Cup. But it feels like there's been a little bit of a toxic culture shift over these last number of years as they've chased each new shiny toy yeah. that's come onto the market. So when you look at all of that and the players that have been jettisoned, the, de the decisions that have been made, the lack of prospects, the lack of cap space, they're in a pretty tough spot to end up not making the playoffs this year. And I wonder what the damage to this team's reputation, not just in the market, but also around the league with other players has had a lasting impact, will it spur Bill Foley to change? Yeah, that's an interesting part is like Jack Eichel obviously being the latest new shiny toy and what you have to move in order to bring those shiny toys in. Those are also humans and players wonder if I go there, will I be the next one that will be moved on when and if nothing happens? The, the Eichel one, listen, I know folks in Buffalo aren't all that worried that he missed the postseason. But we, should we feel bad for Jack Eichel? Like, this is, I mean, this is a colossal run now for him. Well, I mean, part of it is, I would imagine, a little bit on him. Um, you know, you think back to that game against the Sharks last night. How many opportunities did he have in overtime? How many, you know, he had another opportunity, another crack at it in the shootout. Um, you know, I wonder about the fit on that team. And I also, you know, really what made me scratch my head a little bit more with Jack Eichel, and this isn't to demean him. I give him uh, full marks for the courage that he had to go through with his artificial disc replacement, how he paved the way for, uh, you know, other players to yep. follow a Tyler Johnson, for instance. Um, but when you look at 
the Buffalo Sabres and this season and the way that it unfolded, not only did they get some valuable pieces back in Tuck and Krebs to add to their team, but I wonder if in some ways was there any addition by subtraction. And I think you have to ask the question based on the fact that last year, Tim, the Buffalo Sabres were on track for a 54-point regular season, and that was with Jack Eichel over an 82-game stretch. And now you look at this year, yeah. and their over-under was set at 66.5. We were just talking about some some lines before uh, to kick off our head. 66.5 or 67, they've blown that out of the water with still a, a few games to go, and yet their supposed best player is not there anymore. And, ha- you know, they were missing some of these guys from the trade for a large stretch of this season. So I think it's fair to ask the question. Um, and I really wonder what the dynamic in that room is like with just a couple guys left from that original team and a lot of different mercenaries that have been brought in along the way. Yeah, I, I asked the same question after the return trip and the trash talking that was uh... – coming out of Jack Eichel's mouth after the game towards the Buffalo uh, fans who kind of gave it to him. Since that point, Frank, the Golden Knights are 10-9-2. The Sabres are 13-6-3. Before I let you go, there are eight teams in the East that have 100 points or more. What the hell does that mean? Nothing. (laughs) I mean, that's the truth because – you look at the way they've beaten up on teams. You look at the gap between eighth place and the playoffs. It's really sizable. Um, you know, the Islanders are 20 points back. Some of these other teams, 30 points back. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It just means that eight teams have clearly separated themselves. And also the way that the NHL hands out points just continues to be a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I think they hand out a few more points than they used. I wondered if it meant that Perhaps Florida should be nervous as your president's trophy winner uh, or at least your number one seed in the East. I mean, it's the NHL. If you're the number one seed, if you're not nervous, you're not doing it right. Right. Without a doubt. All right, Frankie. So uh, have you got any hate mail as of yet? Can you check your mentions uh, from the Tim and Friends on the 20-point Raptors uh, loss or win? Oh, I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about what's coming next from uh, Golden Knights fans. Yeah, that's, that's going to come your way, too. Frank, you always appreciate you doing this with me. Thanks for the time. Enjoy the game. There is Frank Saravelli from suburban Philly going hard on the Sixers, 20 points, and then going hard on the Vegas Golden Knights. And let's be honest here. Like, what he's saying is true. Like, those are all legitimate questions. When Jack Eichel joined the Las Vegas Golden Knights, it felt like it was going to be and I mean, listen, Stone goes down, Leonard's hurt. There, Injuries, are, yeah. there are some caveats to the conversation, but this is this looks bad on Jack Eichel. It does look bad on Jack Eichel, and you gotta think like what do they do moving forward now? Because they are going to have some serious salary cap issues. They have so many big money players there and they miss the playoffs. Like are, are we getting to a point where the Vegas Golden Knights are gonna have to make some form of changes for the first time in their history. Well, they've made a lot of changes, like, but I know what you're saying. They've been more expensive changes. Yeah, like they've tried right? to upgrade as opposed to rethinking what they're doing. Rejig the uh, Missouri wrote in in the middle of all this and said, this hockey fan thinks it's hockey god's way of telling the Golden Knights that their rookie run to the mm. finals had to pay the piper at some point. And this year, uh, and it is this year, maybe. 
Yeah, it certainly seems that way. There's, there are not going to be a lot of people around hockey that are going to be sad that the Vegas no. Golden Knights have missed the playoffs outside of, of Vegas. Not a lot of empathy for the Golden Knights. And even the fans in Vegas, like, you're in Vegas. You're going to be okay. <laughs> Just go out. Uh, have actually, a good great. Time. <laughs> we get to the Monday tradition. Plays of the week will try and make you smile, even if you're a Vegas Golden Knights yeah. fan. Next, right here on Tim and Friends, it is the Monday tradition of the Plays of the Week. Jesse and I are the big... 98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-98-
not yet, but if they do lose, the team is done. Yes. Thaddeus Young, how about this? Shaking, bacon, making. so good in game four. They need more of that tonight. Uh, Pelican's son's Devin Booker was on fire before he got hurt. Corner bucket and then the baby dap. Yeah, love that. Baby dap. Don't love that he's hurt, though. We should have more baby dap, although baby in front row of NBA basketball game. Yeah. That's tough. Okay, there's been some protesters storming the court in Minnesota recently due to allegations of animal cruelty by the owner of the team. Now, we don't condone animal cruelty, no do we condone running onto the court. But check this out. A woman is about to run on the court, and the security guard had it nailed from jump. The awareness, the response time, the closing speed. In the 1% of security guards. Unbelievable. And lastly, we've been hyping him up all along, so let's give some flowers Yo, to your boy, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, what's up, man? It's Vince Carter here. Hey, I know you're busy and locked in for the game. I get it. But I just want to say I truly enjoyed watching you play this year. It takes me back to when I was a rookie and I was able to win the 1998 Rookie of the Year Award Trophy. Oh. Great memories, man. Great memories. I want to give you some quick Raptors history if I could since we're on the subject. Did you know it's only been three Raptors players in franchise history to win this award? David Stoudemire, me, and a six foot seven rookie from West Palm Beach, Florida, my fellow Florida boy, yeah, man, congratulations, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you continue to achieve success in the NBA. You're up next, bro. You're up next. You know the vibes. Were we early on Scotty Burns? Were we early on Scotty Like right Barnes? away. Like it was, we preach patience on Scotty Barnes, I think. Yeah, I, I tweeted the night of the draft. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I remember, I remember he did that. But like, we got to stop doubting Masai and Bobby Webster in think, this country. I think it's just sometimes you have to wait and see how it works out. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that very often in sports <laughs> no, anymore. No, we don't. No, we don't. Uh, but you said on the weekend on Twitter, if that doesn't make you smile. Oh, my God, it was incredible. No days off for the Jays who return home from Houston, start a 10-game homestand tonight. First up, their division rivals from Beantown. We'll get down to the park, check in with Shia BD to tee it up. Next, Tim and friends, game five, Jays wrestling. We got it all. Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdogs back here. Tim and friends all the way until 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. That's right. 7.30 Eastern. We're going an extra half an hour as we head into the Raptors pregame, followed by game five of the Sixers and Raps right here on Sportsnet. We'll go full pregame mode in just a bit. Eric Smith stops by the studio. We'll uh, head to Philadelphia, catch up with Sixers play-by-play -play announcer Kate Scott and Michael Grange. The Raptors looking to force a game six after avoiding a sweep on Saturday. Injuries have been a huge factor in the series and continue to be. Scotty Barnes still hobbled, but back in the lineup. But bad news on Freddie Van Vliet, who left game four with a hip issue. I'm out tonight. Um, was able to get an MRI. Um, you know, nothing uh, too major, thank God, but uh, definitely showing uh, just a hip flexor strain. So 
Um, I'll be out tonight, kind of take it day by day and go from there. Presuming you guys extend the series, you know, what's your, do you think you could be back for a game six? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know, Mike. I think um, I would, I'm always going to leave that window open. You know, it's not one of those things where I'm out for four weeks. Uh, it'll probably take, you know, some time. Um, hopefully we can extend this thing and um, I, w I would feel great about, you know, maybe playing in the next round. I know um, nobody believes we can do it, but I think we can. Again, tons of Raptors pregame coverage coming up, including Nick Nurson's pregame availability. Eric Smith is going to join me. We will break everything down and get you set for game five right here on Tim and Friends to hockey and a light night on the ice. Just one game as a part of Rogers hometown hockey. Mm. That's right. But it was a big day for the Lightning. The two time defending Stanley Cup champs were at the White House today to celebrate their Stanley Cup wins and be honored by Joe Biden, who had a interesting pronunciation of Commissioner Gary Batman. I want to thank Commissioner Gary Batman and Gary Batman and Gary Batman and for being here as well. And uh, at the risk of stating the obvious here, it's a pretty good time to be in a sports fan in Tampa. I don't know what the hell you have in the water down there. Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. The Rays won the pennant. And these guys behind me became back-to-back -back Stanley Cup champions. And they, and they may be here next year. Who knows? It's been a long time coming for the lighthouse, the lighthouse, the lightning. <laughs> After three championships. That's how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they do these? Biden's got jokes. Yeah. You don't think they should do that anymore? No, it's enough. Just Dover? Yeah, just, yeah. All right. Do something else in your time. Yeah, now that it's not Trump, it won't be controversial. Just stop <laughs> it. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good with you. Jays uh, start a 10-game homestand with the Red Sox in town. Before you can see it, starting with Blue Jay Central. 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on Sportsnet 1. There were questions about unvaccinated players not being able to make the trip. But for the, the uh, Red Sox, only Tanner Houck and uh, Cutter Crawford were placed on the COVID restricted list. It will be Jose Barrios against Nathan Eovaldi in the pitching. Much ado about nothing. Remember, I told you that about a week ago. Yep. Much ado about nothing when it comes to these COVID protocols. And guys got it done if they needed to. Here That's we are. That. At least most guys do. Uh, the Jays lineup for the opener, usual top four. Matt Chapman hitting fifth. Alejandro Kirk catches and bats sixth. Ramel Tapia plays left, he'll bat seventh, and Santiago Espinal plays second base. Where's the GOAT, Zach Collins? Where is the GOAT? <laughs> well, ask Shai Davidi joining. Zimmer is batting ninth, he'll play right. Here's the Jays brass on the transformation of the aforementioned Santiago Espinal. We'll get Collins next. Oh. We got bigger in the offseason, which I'm not surprised either. He, this kid works hard, and we told him, we need you to get bigger, and he did, and look at what he's doing now. It's been clear. I mean, the exit velocities there, the, you know, the ability to put himself, even defensively, as I was talking about, his ability to get into such athletic positions so quickly and recover from being on the ground to get up to make such accurate throws, that's, that's strength. So, I mean, really impressed, the hard work. And I do love the spring training eye test, but that, mm -hmm. that spring training eye test seems to be playing out pretty truly. All right, joining us from the Rogers Center to set up this four-game series with the Red Sox is our own Shai Davidi. What's going on, Shai? How are you, man? I'm all right. What's going on? The, the timing on this Santiago Espinal seems uh, pretty good. So earlier today, we hear that Kevin Biggio has gone uh, to the COVID list. So he's out. 
but he hadn't been finding much space with the way Santiago's been swinging the bat. And let's be honest here, they're talking about exit velos and all that. He's played some really good defense. Yeah, I mean, the defense is no surprise, right? That's certainly his reputation coming up from the minor leagues. It's what he's had all along, and he's shown that over the past couple of years. But it's the jump in the type of contact that he's making that's captured everyone's attention. And you mentioned the timing, certainly good. Uh, Kevin Biggio is expected to go on the COVID IL. It's not done just yet, but we expect that to probably happen before the game. But if you think about some of the other things that have gone on for the Blue Jays, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is out, Danny Jansen's out. The lineup certainly hasn't clicked, and the Blue Jays have really needed to get contributions from unexpected sources. Zach Collins has been one, but Santiago Aspinall, right from the beginning of the season, you know, he's just delivered several key hits and big moments, and. I think the Blue Jays are looking at the type of contact that he can that he's been making, the moments that he's been doing it in, and then factoring in the defense as well. And you've really seen him take control of that job at second base. Looks like he can also take corners as well. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, they were warming up today with a soccer ball of Santiago Espinal sending <laughs> in uh, right-footed hooks to the box. I did not see that, but look, <laughs> athletic guy, so, yeah. so it makes sense. You know, if, uh, if the, this Blue right, Jay thing doesn't work out, TFC's just desired. up the road. <laughs> but, you know, like, look, I think, it's a, I think it speaks to, like, the, just the development of the player, right? Yeah. That, you know, he's, he's always had this sort of ability, and now it's really shining through. All right, so this seems like a real important stretch. And I know that we said this going into the season, the 30 and 31 or the 20 and 20. But now the homestand against three quality opponents. Uh, it seems like this is a real key time despite all the injuries. For sure. And look, I, let's, let's kind of remember we're in April, right? And that this is sort of the beginning of the marathon. But this was a, a really a stretch of the season where, you know, things went badly. You could leave yourself with some work to do. And, you know, quite the opposite. I think what the Blue Jays have done so far through this period, it's really showed themselves that they can win a lot of those sort of 50-50 games that can go either way. And these were the types of games that they let slip away from themselves all too often last May and June, and that ended up coming back to cost them. And, you know, to this point, the bullpens performed really well. They've seen a lot of leverage. They've gotten used to performing in these types of stretches. Everybody has come together from an offensive standpoint to just kind of just squeeze out enough to make things happen. And defensively, we've seen them be very, very tight in a way that they weren't last year. So, you know, I think the fact that they've been having some success in tight games against these key rivals so far, uh, coming out of them with, with a winning record, I think they're taking a lot of confidence to that, talking to some 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 players around today uh, just about what that experience has been like, what they're taking from it, that they feel that there's a bit more maturity uh, on this team now in handling those situations, a belief that, you know, that they know what to how to manage the emotions of the moment a little bit better than they did last year and certainly back to 2020. Uh, and that's really been reflected to this point. All right, listen, Shai, I, I'm not you know, the hot-button provocateur. I am more about the marathon than the sprint. But after you make the kind of run that the Jays made last year and missed the postseason by one game, there's no more it's early. Like, every win counts, especially against division rivals. For sure, yeah. every win counts. But, again, like, you know, if they 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 went 4-2 and two on the, the road trip, you know, if they come out of this stretch, you know, let's say they come out of it 14-6, and six, it doesn't that doesn't give them the division by any stretch. So no. I think that's just what I'm kind of pointing to. Is right, that, you know, you. Even if they perform really well, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seal anything. 
but you just don't want to bury yourself. And they've certainly done far better than that to this point. Uh, and again, they've done it without their full team. You know, I think what we've really seen since the Oscar Hernandez went down, we shouldn't be surprised, but I think you really understand how much of an impact he's make he makes on this lineup. You know, I, I wrote about this last year about how he's not only kind of the guy who cleans up from in front, but he's also the guy who's setting the table for the second half of the lineup in that number four spot. Uh, and, and Gurriel's done an nice job. He just doesn't have the impact that Teoscar does. So uh, I think that's, you're certainly seeing some of that value. And then so to, to get through this stretch without Teoscar Hernandez, without Danny Jansen, who's off to a nice start, uh, I think the Blue Jays can feel really good about what they've accomplished to this point. All right, uh, Shai, I'm seeing some visuals right now of Teoscar walking around with a bat, Teoscar uh, getting loose. Is there any update on Teoscar? Yeah, he's still in the hitting tee phase, but in the next day, two days, three days, the Blue Jays expect him to move to a live batting practice. And once he starts doing that, then at that point, he's really on the road to a return. So uh, they're going to really be careful with what he's doing. The worst thing to do with an oblique is get to the point where you're 90% and then re-aggravate it because then it's you're totally resetting things. But that's uh, the Blue Jays are expecting that to happen in the next few days, and then from there, you know, couple sessions they're going to really let Teoscar Hernandez guide them. You know, does he want some abs down in Buffalo? Can he just take some live batting practice and yeah, a few sessions, and then jump back on the field? He's certainly going to make that decision. All right, the uh, streak ends for Jordan Romano at 31 consecutive saves. I know the sweep was on the line, but it's still pretty damn impressive, including what he did on Friday night. Yeah, 100%. I chatted with him a little bit about that before the game. And, you know, he said afterwards he didn't felt really weird. He was like, oh, like, you know, he's obviously had that experience before in his career, but it had been so long. He was having a little bit of difficulty processing it. You know, he felt like, oh, I've still got more to do and the game's over and uh, I want to keep pitching. So he's certainly going to reset things. And, uh, you know, I think he's really one of the guys who's learned to pitch in that leverage. And, you know, if, uh, if you look at the leverage index, it's a, a, a stat that measures how much pressure a pitcher has pitched in. You know, if one is league average, uh, the, you know, his leverage index is at 2.32. It's an astronomical amount of pressure that he's pit, pitched in, and it's been in almost every game that the Blue Jays have won to this point. So he's really taken a lot of it. He's pitched well and successfully through it. And so I think he understands that that was just a day and he can flush it. But, you know, he still did feel like a little bit strange because he had had that such a long, long run of success. Yeah, him and the bullpen. The bullpen's been really good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the starters. Are, are we starting to see some settle in here? I showed some stats about the road trip and what the starters ERA was in the entire year. And now this road trip. Are we starting to see kind of, I know it's a shortened spring to all those things. Are, are the starters starting to settle in? Yeah, you know, I think the shortened spring... We really have to factor that in because their pitchers are sort of right now, right about or getting to the point where they typically are for an opening day, just where two weeks into a season. So I think from this point forward, it's starting to be a bit more normal and a bit more what uh, pitchers should start returning to their baselines a little bit more from this point forward. And I think we're starting to get a better read on, on where guys are at. And, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, you definitely like what Barrios did his last time out. Uh, obviously, Gossman had a terrific outing, and, you know, Ross Stripling's building himself up, and Kikuchi was back and forth the last time. But there, there's, uh, and Manoa, right out of the gate, has been almost, uh, you know, he's certainly been in, in midseason form. 
but I think the Blue Jays are taking, ha had to have a little bit of extra caution beforehand uh, because of the abbreviated spring and the weird buildup. And, you know, now they are starting to feel like they can extend their starters towards 100 pitches, 100 pitches and beyond, uh, and do it in a way that's uh, hopefully safe for their staff. We're running out of time, so I'll save you uh, on all of my Alec Manoa futures and just ask you <laughs> about uh, the Red Sox. Seems like they're scuffling a little bit, four and six in their last ten. They come in in obviously a very tight division, uh, fourth at seven and nine. What, what do you make of the Red Sox coming in right now? Look, I, I think everything comes back to their pitching, right? Like that lineup is still pretty solid. Uh, it's the same lineup uh, by large with Trevor Story this year. That the one that you know was was so good in, in uh, a year ago. So I don't think that's going to disappear. But you know, the the big question mark going into last year for them was their pitching. Are they going to get the the type of starting that they need to compete and to leverage that offense? And I think we're seeing some of that play out. This year, you know, Nick Pavetta was so strong for them last year. You know, he hasn't been uh, the same guy They're down Chris Sale. So, you know, they're, they lost Rodriguez in the offseason. So I, I think how they fill that, whether they're going to emerge, is this just a early season funk? I think those are still the questions. But if they start pitching, then we're going to see this team get back into uh, be that pain that they were last year. Without a doubt. Shy, always great catching up with you. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, there is Shai Davidi down at the ball yard. And if you're looking for the ball game tonight, you can see it on Sportsnet 1. In fact, Jamie and Joe are coming your way in about 15 minutes' time on Sportsnet 1. We are going to continue until 7.30 Eastern as we get you set for the Raptors and the Sixers game number five. When we come back, Eric Smith will join me the rest of the way as we begin focusing in on that game number five live right here on Sportsnet. Can the Raptors force a game six and bring it back home? Tee it up. Pre-game style. Next with Eric Smith right here on Tim and Friends. Telling me there's a chance. Well, at this point, we know that all NBA teams down three games to none lost. They are 0-143 in the series. But as Nick Nurse said, teams that are down 3-1, well, that's been done. In fact, it's been done 13 times in NBA history, which doesn't sound like a ton. But five of those have come since 2015, seven since the year 2000 and three of those seven to give up a 3-1 series lead and lose were coached by Doc Rivers who has more blown 3-1 leads than any other coach in NBA history. Coincidence? Raptors and their fans hope not. Game five comes your way in just over 90 minutes right here on Sportsnet. And here to help me for the next hour and a bit we thank Eric Smith, the radio play-by-play -play voice of the Toronto Raptors, for coming in studio. What's up, Smitty? Good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Is there coincidence in that stat that I just, and we're just offering it up? We, I believe that the folks at home can make their own decision on whether or not these are super stats or meaningless numbers. I think it's a bit of a super stat because if it was one time, right. you know, one time for Doc, the fact that it's three, um, I loved when Nick said it the other day. Let's get the one, and three one's been done. And let's take it from there. And I will say, and I acknowledge there might be a red and white pom-pom buried under here somewhere. <laughs> this is a bit of a homerish type statement. It really should be 2-2. It's always dangerous when you play the woulda, coulda, right. shoulda. 
But the Raptors had game three in the balance. That's a game they should have closed out. It's not like they got blown out like they did in games one and two. They did everything right in that game except win. Right. They, they had the big lead. They played well down the stretch. Philadelphia didn't even lead until overtime. We should be talking about the series being swung tonight in a game five. Who's going to go up 3-2? Right. So from that standpoint, if you're a Raptor fan, if I'm trying to provide you a, a glimmer of hope of this comeback, you have played well enough to at least be even right now. But you're not. So go get that one tonight. Make it 3-2. Put the pressure on Philadelphia because if they do, the Raptors get that win tonight, there clearly will be a whole ton of pressure on Philly going back to Toronto. And it won't be just Doc Rivers. No. It'll be James Harden yep. who has been in a spot like this before. It'll be Joel Embiid who many in the United States have accused of being a front runner, the type of guy who when things are going good, has it going good, and when they turn to adversity, you wonder what his response is. We're going to hear from Doc Rivers in mere moments from now. Nick Nurse is scheduled to speak at about 6.30 Eastern time, so about eight minutes from now. But Fred Van Vliet being out. Jesse and I were talking about his numbers, and obviously he isn't the Fred Van Vliet that he was before the All-Star mm. game. He's been worn down. I think he used the words today, his body just tapped out. Um, can the Raptors do this without their All-Star and point guard? Do this in this series to make the comeback, I think, is going to be hard enough to do a long run if they pull off the miracle. I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, understatement of the, of the day, of the decade. I don't think you're better without an all-star caliber point guard in your lineup. But I do like, at least for this game, or if it takes a couple of games, the matchup with Philly in terms of the ability to go big. This is why, even though you didn't lean on the depth a whole lot this year, mm -hmm. the Raptors did show that they had some depth, or at least they had some flexibility with their lineups, Timmy, in terms of going big and, and, and throwing some different uh, looks at opponents. And I think that they've got the people to be able to kind of sustain this. I think where they're going to miss Fred more than the shot making, more than the playmaking is just the presence on the floor, the calming presence. To me, the, the leadership qualities that he exudes, that he so easily and quickly took those reins from a Kyle Lowry, I think that is where you're going to miss him more than anything. And the experience factor of a calming presence who's been there in the finals, who's been there in the big moments. To not have him there right. to help reel people in, I think that's where there could be a challenge. Yeah, We're going to give you the numbers a little later on on Fred Van Vliet and what he's done uh, in this series versus what he was doing before the All-Star game, what made him an All-Star, they're significantly different. But Freddie's not the only injury in this series. Joel Embiid is dealing with a significant injury to his thumb. And just moments ago, Doc Rivers went to the podium and spoke about Embiid's injury. How, how much pain do you think Joel is in, and what does it say about his character that not only this year is he playing through this, Last year in the second round, he had a torn, torn meniscus yeah. that cost him the game. Yeah, listen, I, I have no idea the pain. I've had the injury. Uh, it's a painful injury. That's what this is, whole thing is. Um, you know, I did it exactly the same way. Um, I did it the day before game one or the beginning of the playoffs. And uh, you play through it. It's, it's no fun to play through. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, the pain comes and goes, I'll say that, with the injury. Um, you know, the stability of the thumb is the whole key. It's, I don't even think it's a pain thing. It's more what he can do with it. And I think he'll be good. It's impressive how the hairline has hung on there for it. All right, so. There are tricks. There are tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Joel Embiid, this is, listen, he has had a wonderful year. And all those things that I was talking about before we went to the clip, 
Um, it seems like he's moved past a lot of that with his season this year. Like what he's been able to do, where he is top two NBA voting yep. guaranteed, maybe yep. even he might the MVP. Win it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I just, he, he's had a wonderful year. There's just that looming history that I wonder if plays in now that he's got an excuse here. Well, I'm looking at your right hand right now. Yes, I right? Torn, torn ligaments in my, uh, in my ring finger. So when I was here last week and I was asking you what the hell did you do to your hand and you were, we were going through and we were both holding up our digits and talking about old injuries and everything else and you from the football days. Anybody that's played sports at any kind of level, I don't care if you've played collegiately, professionally, or you're just a weekend warrior. Mm-hmm. I'd be going at that hand, Timmy. I'd be going at that right finger, that ring finger on your right hand, time and time again. If we were playing football in a meaningful game, not if we're just playing some pickup on the weekend. But but I'd be going at the exactly. If we're talking pro sports here, I'm not trying to be malicious. I'm not trying to be dirty. But I would be making sure that Joel Embiid feels me. And I think that will play a factor. I think it did play a factor in Game Four. How many times did we see him wincing in pain? Passes, which ordinarily aren't great. He's not a fantastic passer. When the pressure came on, I don't think he has the strength. I don't think he has the um, the, the the marksmanship, the accuracy yeah. because you of really the thumb. struggled passing out of the double team. It's an issue. Yeah. And I think it's an issue, again, when he's fully healthy. With that thumb kind of hanging by a thread, literally and figuratively, I think it's a problem. And I think that it's not an excuse not to, to, to flip your words. I think it is a fact. The man right. is hurt. He's trying to play through it. And I think it's a factor, and the Raptors have to be cognizant of that and force him to be a facilitator and force him into tough looks, force him to flop, to, to fall, and, and, and take advantage of when he's taken himself out of plays. And I, I, I think that if Toronto can take that same blueprint they had in Game 4, mm-hmm. there's a chance for them tonight. I don't know what you're talking about when it comes to the digits here. The, the, my digits are perfectly fine. I mean, like, you, there might it's be a like little a bit compass, of and there might know? be, I mean... Thumbs are supposed to go like that, right? Like that's the way thumbs are uh, supposed to go. Yeah, and they're supposed to, you know, lock like that, that and yeah. you know, pop and lock. Yeah, you, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think too many people twerk their thumbs that often. But, <laughs> right. but you know, no, that's, that's normal. Painful. I think that's normal. I think that's the way my digits is. That well. looks painful. <laughs> <laughs> I can't feel. Well, in fairness, it. hasn't yeah. affected uh, your performance. We'll see with it's, Joel. I think, Embiid, I think right? it's a little different to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> me sitting here and Joel Embiid in the middle of the Maybe. NBA playoffs. Uh, listen, one of the things that makes this show different is that we allow people in with Jesse Rubin off at Tim and Friends. So we want you to send your questions for E at Tim and Friends on Twitter, on Instagram. Your questions for me, we'll try and get to as many as we can. But there have been some comments flowing in. Jesse, let's just get one before we go to break. Yeah, a lot of it's in response to uh, our tweet saying the Doc River stat that everybody knows by now that he's the first coach in NBA history to blow three 3-1 series leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Wrightson says that it is only fair he will be the first to coach a team <laughs> to blow a 3 nothing lead. There you go, Andrew. Uh, Nathan, nope, it is different if you have to win three straight, but four straight, I got to see it to believe it. I think, Tim, to your your point, if they win tonight, then things really change. The pressure really ramps up on the Sixers. As as someone who cheers for the story repeatedly, I am cheering for the Raptors to win because I can't wait to see how the Sixers would respond to that because I think they'd start feeling the heat. Smitty's sticking around. Full hour we got him for. Jesse's sticking around. We hope you're sticking around as well. Raptors season on the line in Philly tonight. One of the toughest road trips in the business. But this is a Raptors team that never stops fighting. And as we've said on the show before, many things can happen when you never stop fighting. Game five coming up right here 
on Sportsnet. Stick around, please. Tim and friends with Eric Smith counting down a tip off for game five between the Raptors and the Sixers. Many fans wondering about the stark contrast in Joel Embiid reactions in this series from the guy who said this with a 2-0 series lead. I told him, uh, you know, uh, respectfully, uh, and told him uh, uh, to stop bitching about calls. To the man that just got fined $15,000 for saying this after game five. Four. I admire the job that I did today. Um, to me, it felt like they had one job, you know, coming in here uh, tonight, and uh, they got it done, so congrats to them. Can I, can I infer that the job was to make sure there was a game five? I don't know, but <laughs> you can, uh, I'm not, I don't, I really don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm, you can figure it out. Sure. Uh, but uh, they, they did a great job. Uh, uh, I'm not going, like I said, I'm not going, I'm going to take my own advice and not complain about it. Which Joel Embiid shows up today and which officials show up today? I was saying, like, listen. There's one thing that you can kind of sort of bank on in the NBA when it comes to officiating, and that's this is a very thin vine that I'm walking out on, Deuce Smitty, but it seems to change based on who's at home. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. And, it, I mean, it's, it's not just this series. We've seen – I mean, listen, we see it in every city, in every series, and we see it all regular season long as well. Um, the whistle has been an issue, and it's constantly an issue. I mean, look at the disparity right there and the numbers that are thrown the up Suns in the other Pelicans series. Pelicans was unbelievable yeah, last and night. I, and, and, and is it the human nature element, which I know isn't supposed to always come in, where do you get impacted by the crowd and by the noise, and then, you know, why do we talk about it being a sixth man or a twelfth man in football, et cetera? So how much of a difference can that crowd make? I, I don't know. I, I think, I think that, it's a crowd. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think it is the yeah, crowd, I and I think crowd. it is, the, that's why I say, the human nature yeah. of, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're at the end of the day, a human being, and you've got 20,000 people saying F you and screaming down on you when you've made a poor call or when you maybe in your mind think, I might have got that call wrong, and 20 seconds later or two minutes later, there's a borderline call, it's going the other way. As, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of playing that. Yeah, even, no, even I'm with game. you. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that if you're a Raptor fan, you kind of got to get ready for that the calls might go back towards Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. I do know this, Nick Nurse has done a pretty damn good job lobbying for calls throughout this series. We'll see if he did it again. Here he is at the podium. Have your decided on a starting lineup yet? Or? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we got, um, obviously, Freddie's out. Uh, I would imagine Scotty's going to start in his place. Um, may change what we do with the five spot. But we're, we're uh, could be any one of three guys. We think um, Kem has been starting, not playing very much. Precious obviously started one game in the series. Thad is back in the series here a little bit more. So be one of those three guys. Coach, apologize being way late on this, but your rookie of the year. What what makes him special on and off the court? Well, um, let's start with on the court, and it, it kind of translates to off the court for him. But he's. Uh, on the court, he's been really versatile for us. You know, he's he's um, played both sides of the ball, handles the ball, rebounds the ball, scores a bit. And I think I think that's probably what we're most pleased with. His scoring seems to be coming. Probably not his major asset right now, but but I think there's um, a lot of ceiling there for him. Um, loves the hoop. 
and he loves to play. Um, that's great. I think he played a lot of minutes this year. That was that was my uh, early indicator of what kind of season he was going to have, is how many minutes he could handle. And I think he um, he just kept getting better and, and physically stronger all year long. Um, he has a great teammate, as you've all heard, and um, great to coach and fun to be around, really good character person and a, and a fun, smiley personality. So lots of good things to say about him. Um, first of all, I'm really awful at ranking uh, around the league. Our guys are always asking me those kind of questions in Toronto, and I'm, I'm not very good at it. But um, for what's in front of us right now, he's the fastest guy out there by a mile, right? I mean, he is, he is um, uh, super fast. And the thing is, is, is usually with those kind of guys, that's their whole game. And it's not with him. I mean, he is a really good shooter with great touch. Um, so, man, that, that makes you really hard to guard when you got to get to a challenge shot. And if you're a little late and he decides not to shoot it, he's going to, he's just going to kind of catch it on the run and, and be in the paint. Um, obviously, it's been a big problem for us. And uh, we're trying to figure out ways to, to slow him down. We're doing a little bit better, but it's a, it's a tremendous challenge just because of that dual threat or, or the other threat with the speed. Would you rank the importance of having Embiid's <laughs> turnovers stay up in the four or five range? He's been in the last couple of games. I'm sorry, what was that? I was still. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, in, in ranking your priorities for the game, like you've, you've got, yeah. you got some turnovers coming from Embiid. Yeah. I presume that's something you want to keep keep going. Well, yeah. I mean, listen. I think that um, we have most of our season um, thrived and made it part of who we are. We didn't do that here in Philadelphia the, the last two times. Um, I, I guess it's important, Michael, but for me what's more important is, well, it's important we get some. I mean, I think, I think that's who we are. But I think what's more important is that we are finding those shooters the way we've been finding them. They're still getting a lot of perimeter shots, obviously. I mean, we have to double-team this guy, so there's going to be open shots, but we've been better at being in and then getting out to at least make them somebody flying at them um, fairly challenged, right? And I think that's a big difference. So I'm probably I'd rank making sure the shots are challenged over the turnovers, but just slightly. Excuse me. What have you seen in this series that gives you confidence you know, that you guys could get back in? Well, I think the biggest thing um, that I've seen is we've generated really good shots most of the series. Um, and um, we haven't shot very well yet. And, and I'm, I'm, I, told, I told the guys today, today would be a good day to go, go, go ahead and start making some of those, some of those open shots. Um, again, and if we, can, if we can do that and generate them, I don't, again, I don't know how it'll look. I mean, obviously, we've got one of our best shooters out of the game and a guy who creates a lot of those shots out of the game. Don't know how it'll look for a full 48 without him out there. Um, but, you know, again, I hope we can continue to, to generate shots and, and just maybe maybe get a little hotter from the from the perimeter. This is the first game in which Gary is more himself and Thibault is also available. Is there anything, does that change anything or is it just we've got to make sure our screen is top, like, high yeah. for him?
Yeah, so, so, so usually, uh, Eric, that means that we're going to have to screen really well early in the possession to, to free Gary, you know, so that he gets the touch. And then after that one, we're going to have to screen well again to get him some, some room to operate. Um, and that's, that's a good point. That is, I'm sure, uh, going to be his assignment probably pretty early. I don't, I don't think, well, I don't know if they're going to start him or not, but I would imagine he'll be in pretty quick um, to go cover Gary. Coach, last week you said if somebody performs, their minutes will get extended. That was never more true with Thad the other game. Just he played extremely well. Tell us about Yeah, I mean it was it was um, um, you know a little little bit. Um, I kind of told him at game two that I was just going to wait one more game for him. So I got him in there early, and you're right. He just he just did. Uh, a lot of quarterbacking defensively for us. He was really helping those guys get organized to get some of the double teams and rotations made. And you could just sense that out there as leadership um, from, from kind of that standpoint. He really passed the ball, right? He really helped us, especially in the zone. He was flashing in there and hitting guys for back cuts and kick out threes um, and just a real high competitive level. It's good. I think I said that this morning at shoot around. I mean, we've lost Freddie, but we've kind of added Thad, we've added Gary, and I'd even count, we've added Precious. I think he's kind of joined us in the series now, too, and all those from from games one and two, we didn't, you know, get anything from those guys. Injuries on both sides have been a factor with you guys and with Embiid, too, and across the league, it kind of feels like there's been some key guys. I know you're keyed in on your own series, but when you see that happen across the the first round, what's your reaction? Well, um, I like I hope, like everybody here and most fans, it's it's um, I don't like it, right? I mean, it's it's disappointing that all these teams. There, there's, I mean, we could we could sit here and go through a long list of teams that got severely affected this season by injury. A long list. Um, we could talk just about every team in the playoffs that's been affected as well. Um, and I wish we didn't have to talk about that or think about that. I don't. I don't know what the solution is, other than we hope hope guys get healthy and get a play. You want to see the best. We all want to see the best players in this league play, and right now a lot of them aren't. So we we hope that 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 can change it for for the positive uh, going on in these playoffs and and then for next year. Yeah, injuries playing a significant role in a lot of series, not the least of which this one. So Freddie Van Vliet goes out and right off the top, Nick Nurse was asked about his starting lineup. Uh, did any of the answers surprise you? Because it seems like the four that we all thought, Scotty Barnes goes in after coming off the bench in game number four. But then there was some, uh, some ambiguity from the coach. Well, listen, let's also remember you asked me before game three, and I was wrong because I didn't think they would go to Ken Birch, yeah. and they did. Right. I'd be surprised if they went to Thaddeus Young because I like what he brings off the bench more as opposed to right away in the starting lineup. I think it's a different look because he's a little smaller. I would lean towards Birch or Precious if it were me. And we already know Scotty's going in for Fred. So I, I, I still think, much like I said prior to Game 3, I would go with Precious. And Thad Young was outstanding in Game 4. And those spurts off the bench on both ends of the floor where he was making guys guard him, let alone making it tough on Embiid with that smaller size, uh, that's how I would do it. 29 minutes, he had 13 points, five rebounds, and maybe, as Nick Nurse said, most importantly, the five assists mm-hmm. against the zone. He seemed to be bringing that, uh, that 15 years of NBA experience against the zone to help break it down. Yeah, and I think, that, uh, I, I think the fact that it's, Embiid's not used to having a guy like that, a guy at his size, 
right. I think guarding him uh, and the way that he backed off him a couple of times forced him to put it on the floor. Then he would get in there with a hand, try and knock that ball away, or he knew a double team was coming over to help, so then the Raptors would collapse, force him into being a passer. It was just another wrinkle, I think, in Nick Nurse trying to throw different looks at Embiid, something that he probably isn't as used to seeing in more of those traditional big-on-big matchups. So the smallest guy in the Raptors starting lineup will be the six foot five Gary Trent Jr. It's amazing. This is a size dream coming to fruition, although I think he would have liked to have Fred Van Vliet. It's like the in three of us, right? Yeah, all size, just all length size. all over the f- <laughs> wait a second. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll head to Philly. Sixers play-by-play voice Kate Scott will join us. A pair of play-by-play voices, Smitty and Scott. Countdown to Game 5 right here. Tim and Friends on Sportsnet. Stick with us. It is the final stop of the season for Rogers Hometown Hockey, and it comes your way from beautiful North Vancouver at 7.30 Eastern Time, 4.30 Pacific on Sportsnet. The Flyers and the Hawks programming note WWE WWE Monday Night Raw will be available on OLN and Sportsnet now which is free to most Rogers subscribers a reminder Jays and Red Sox are on Sportsnet one Blue Jays Central as a matter of fact on right now we're with you until 7 Eastern before handing it off to the Raptors pregame and game five between the Raptors and the Sixers from one play-by-play voice to another. Eric Smith has joined me in studio and we bring in Kate Smith from Philadelphia. Excuse me, Kate Smith. Kate Scott. That's my, that's my aunt. That's Eric Smith. Is it really your aunt? That would be amazing if it was. Uh, Kate Scott joins us now. Longtime listener, first time caller. I'm a little nervous, Kate. I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. And I was wondering, do, do we get to talk some wrestling? I heard you promoting some wrestling. <laughs> well, we, I'm game to I'm game to go wherever you guys want tonight. Oh, we can talk about a lot because I know you've worked hockey in the past. And we had Frank Saravelli on the show earlier from suburban Philadelphia. And Frankie oh. said Sixers by 20 wow. in this game number five. Are you going with Frank? Uh, is Frankie just trying to screw the Sixers before this game even tips off tonight here at the Wells Fargo Center? Come on. Come on, Frankie. Take a couple of steps back. Uh, but as long as we don't talk about the Flyers and the season they're having, I- I'm happy to do whatever you guys want. Hey, Kate, let, let me play on the wrestling angle here for a second. Because when you know we look at the series, especially last game, putting the whistle aside, it did seem to get more physical on both sides. Toronto was giving it. Philadelphia was giving it. Even the good buddies and Embiid and Siakam were kind of going at each other and getting under each other's skin. How much do you think that might spill over into tonight, just the the tension and the angst that maybe has existed over these first four games? 
Yeah, I think it's just going to get more intense tonight because of exactly what we saw a couple of days ago, right? It, it is an elimination game for your Raptors. It is a must win if the Sixers want a little bit of rest with Joel Embiid and the hand injury. A lot of other guys are obviously nursing things at this point in the season. So I expect it to get even more physical. You all know a thing or two about Philly, and we're in South Philly here, right? Rocky Balboa is our go-to guy that we like to shout out here on South Broad Street. So I, I think that whether it's Pascal and Joel, well going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, whether it's Precious Achua and Tobias Harris, I think it's just going to get even more chippy than it was a couple of days ago, and I can't wait. Usually our Philly reference north of the border is Kyle Lowry, but I think <laughs> it's the same reference as Rocky Balboa, so, <laughs> so we're all good on that. Very close, very close, yes. <laughs> Without a so when you guys see Joel Embiid at his best, what are the keys early? Because we were talking about it early. Listen, if, if you guys get prime MB, prime Harden, which we haven't seen yet, the series is over. What are the keys to prime Joel MB? I think getting him to post up a lot more than he did in game four. I think, as we saw in the first couple of games here before we headed north of the border, he wasn't turning the ball over, right? I think he had four turnovers combined in the first couple of games, and then all of a sudden the defense that we were all expecting got ratcheted up a notch in game three and four, and he had 11 turns in games three and four. So I think being aggressive from the start, holding on to the basketball for Joel, getting into more of a rhythm. We know he's such a good mid-range shooter and really struggled to find the rhythm the last game. I think a lot of that had to do with the thumb, but even in game three, that was even worse as far as turnovers are concerned for Joel and company. And when it comes to James Harden, being aggressive, because as you said, we haven't seen that from him yet. So when he gets going in the cup early, whether it's drawing the fouls or then creating the gravity that allows him those kickouts and gives other guys on the Sixers easy shots, I'd like to see both of those things happen tonight. Hey, Kate, speaking of the aggressiveness, one guy that has been aggressive all series caused a major problem for Toronto in a couple of games, if not the entire series, Tyrese Maxey. Nick Nurse was just uh, talking about him in his pregame availability as well. Um, I know you don't want this to happen, but let me flip the script on you and say if Toronto were to want to slow him down or, dare I say, even shut him down, what are the keys? Because as Nick said, it's not just his speed. He's a shot maker, he's a playmaker, and he has risen on the largest stage of his career thus far. Well, I, I thought the guys did a really actually good job slowing Tyrese down in, in game four. And I thought that was one of the big reasons you were able to come out victorious in that one because he does have a level that I don't think anybody else on the floor for either team has. He just hits that second gear and it's see you later, Tyrese Maxey. But you guys did a great job. They're longer, they're taller than him. So if they can get in his face and just slow down that first step, I think it's really that first step that separates him. So if you can somehow make him go to the side as opposed to those straight line drives, and I thought the Raptors did a lot of that in game four that will really take him out of his game and then on the flip side Tyrese needs to be as aggressive as we saw in games one and two because as you said and as we've all seen he is a game changer you expect a lot out of Siakam for you guys we expect a lot out of Embiid and Harden but if Tyrese can be that third to get going like he did in game one it's going to be a good night to the Raptors listen we were just talking about the size of the Raptors starting lineup and Gary Trent Jr. is now the smallest dude on that starting lineup at 6-5. Matisse Stiebel, there was much ado about his vaccination status, him not making the trip across the border, all that. He hasn't played a ton of minutes. Might that be the counter, though, from Doc Rivers to what could be a big Raptors lineup for the vast majority of this game? 
Yeah, that's what I'm expecting to see, if for no other reason than Danny Green, who hasn't played nearly as many minutes this entire year as he has in past seasons, was asked to start and step up, and he played over 40 minutes, I think 46 in Game 3 in the overtime win, if I'm not mistaken. So I know I know Danny could use a little bit of a breather, and because of what you said as well, because you all haven't seen very much of Matisse and his length and his defensive disruption, I'm hoping that might be the little ace of Doc Rivers' sleeve that we'll see tonight. I'm not sure how he's going to use him, if he's going to put him on Siakam to try to slow him down, if he's going to put him on Trent because, as you said, he's the smallest guy out there. But I'm expecting to see more of Matisse than we've seen in the previous four games tonight. Hey, Kate, I'm going to go back to where I started here. We've got about two minutes left here. Uh, the physicality of this matchup, do you expect or anticipate A, Embiid having issues with the hand like he seemed to have at times, especially when passing in game four? And B, do you think the Raptors actually try and go at him for that and force him you know, pardon the bad pun here, force his hand a little bit. <laughs> I, like I see what you did there. And I, I was, I, yeah, me too. I was hoping one of us would do that. I'm big on dad jokes or mom jokes or whatever you want to call them. But I mean, we, we all saw what you were doing in game four, right? I mean, swatting down, smacking up, doing whatever you could. It, it's what you do in every sport, right? If you know a guy has an injury, you definitely don't try to make it easy on him. So I'm expecting more of that from the Raptors tonight. I think as Doc Rivers said in his pregame, he had a similar injury 85 years ago when he was a player in the NBA. <laughs> but he said the first game is almost the hardest just because you're adjusting right they taped it he said afterwards he had some trouble with his passes because that's where you use your thumb the most same with rebounding and try to bring it down so more so than his shooting it was those other things so I'm hoping because they now have that experience and that knowledge under their belt they'll be able to either tape it differently or just kind of come in more prepared tonight Joel himself will know how to make those adjustments because I'm expecting you guys to get right back to it it's going to be another Royal Rumble here on South Broad Street cannot wait uh, Kate Scott, I can't screw up the name again because she's a rising star in the business and we appreciate you doing this on Tim and Friends. It was, it was great being on with you guys. Thanks for having me and uh, go Sixers. Hope I don't talk to you again until next year. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Kate Scott from Philadelphia, voice of the Sixers, which might lend to the go Sixers at the end. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Um, we got about 30 seconds here, but you keep talking about this physicality. Mm -hmm. Does the ref's whistle early determine how physical this game could be? Yes. Yeah. Because I think it depends on it. And listen, I, I say the same thing about Both buying sides. the Raptors, too. Yep. If they're buying Joel's antics and his flailing and his flopping and falling to the floor, then it's potentially goodnight Raptors because it could be Joel and B going to the free throw line 10, 12 times in the first quarter again. If they let these guys play a little bit, they let them be physical – Suddenly, the script for the rest of the night could be completely different. Without a doubt. All right, time for a break, but we will be back. Go another half an hour as we take you up to the Raptors pregame show and, of course, game five between the Raptors and the Sixers. Can they get it back to Toronto for a game six? We begin to find out from Philly in moments. Well, I think it's a heck of a challenge, and uh, somebody's got to do it. And if it gets to 3-1, it's not 3-0 anymore. And 3-1's been done. The Raptors look to force a Game 5 Monday in Philadelphia. That young. Oh, yes, he did! Oh, what a cut! Boucher with a slam dunk. When you're going to win a game like this, you got a whole bunch of guys that chip in. Trent Jr., the largest lead! 
of the afternoon. This is Pascal time. We're going to be decisive. He's going to be aggressive. I'm a competitor, man. Pascal got it in the foul. This is the playoffs, man, the highest level. Pascal Siakam with a playoff career best 34. They have one job. You know, come in here. But they got it done. So congratulations. The Toronto Raptors take game four. We'll see you Monday night. No matter what, we're going to see the fight. It's not 3-0 anymore. Let's go have some fun and see what we can do. Welcome back to this special extended edition of Tim and Friends. I'm Tim McAuliffe alongside Eric Smith and Jesse Rubinoff. We'll be with you until 7.30 Eastern when Raptors Central takes over ahead of Game 5 against the Sixers. I love the wave, Jesse. It shows enthusiasm. <laughs> he is ready for all of your interaction at Tim and Friends. It was John Wooden who once said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think of you. In an NBA where far too many folks are concerned about their reputation, the Raptors have built a team and a franchise on character. And that character is being tested again. Down 3-0, they got it to 3-1. One more, and they would become just the 13th of those 143 to push the series to six games after being down 3-0. Then you never know, but I for one won't count these Raptors out, although it's not going to be easy without their all-star point guard, Fred Van Vliet. That's right, Fred Van Vliet will not play tonight after leaving the second quarter of Game 4 with a strained hip flexor. Van Vliet would not rule out the possibility of playing in Game 6, but said it's more than likely he'd be ready to return if the Raptors advance to the next round. It's a big if on the Sixers' side, Joel Embiid dealing with a thumb injury that will require surgery after the season, but Nick Nurse says it won't affect how they approach defending the All-Star Center. He had that injury when he banged in a game-winning three and a couple other turnaround shots and another three and all that stuff. He was playing with that, so um, um, I think he's playing through it okay. Real or gamesmanship, Eric Smith? Bit of both, because I will say this. He's, Nick, Nick's right, Yeah. but he looked way more hampered way more impacted by that injury in game four than he did in three, two, or one. So Nick's right. He's had this injury. Right. But either the way the Raptors were playing him or the way that the Raptors made him feel them, it was more of a factor in game four. I, so, listen, I'm, I, I'm playing injured right now with torn ligaments doing and, job, and my ring finger. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you something. If someone starts smacking on that finger, it's going to start hurting a lot more than it would have, say, just after it happened. After it happened, I didn't even know it happened. Right. It was it was hanging, and I had goalie gloves on, and I <laughs> looked at it, and then I realized, oh, dear God, this isn't the way it's supposed it's to be. not supposed to go but boing, it, boing, yeah, boing. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't hurt. Yeah. But I guarantee you, if people started yeah. smacking down on it, it would change the way it feels. Uh, Eric Smith is sticking around until 7.30. Jesse Rubinoff is going to have your tweets and interactions at Tim and Friends, and we've got another friend. That's right. Faisal Kamis is joining us. There's rain in the forecast in Toronto tonight, but that won't stop Raptor fans. Our good friend Faisal Kamisa is also doing it. He's hanging out in Jurassic Park. Uh, Faisal, the weather. And then what's the mood like just about an hour away from Timon? Yeah, Tim, let me first confirm if there's rain. Hold on. Yeah, no, there's very much rain out here in Jurassic Park today. That is my first-hand source telling you that right now. But if you can see behind me, it hasn't really stopped fans from showing up and 
I felt like that was an appropriate question to ask a lot of the people coming into here today. What would it actually take, given the circumstances here today, given where they are in the series, obviously, what would it actually take for you to not be here today? And honestly, not many fans had an excuse at all. So the first group of fans that came in, there four guys, I said, guys, why are you here? I get you're passionate. Why are you here? They're like, oh, we've been here every game for the last six years. There's no way we're missing this right now. I said, what would it take? They said, not this amount of rain, no amount of snow, and if there were a hurricane, I would swim here. And I asked them if they could swim. They said no. That is a circumstance, though, right. for another day. Right. You think snow would stop people, Tim? No. Somebody said they would sled here right. if the snow was around as well. And I have a guy with a torn ACL here. He just tore it. He is on crutches. He says, I have not missed a Jurassic Park experience yet. Today, Tim was not going to be the first one. Uh, we used to call the score the home for the hardcore. That's been replaced by Jurassic Park, without a doubt. Faisal, I can tell it's raining. All I had to do was look at that normally perfectly manicured hair. <laughs> oh, I don't think I've ever seen him do that. Oh, wow. my goodness. Wow. Uh, it is what thanks. it is, man. It is what it is. Thanks for, for slugging it out for us, Faisal. We appreciate you. My pleasure, man. Uh, there is Faisal Camiso among his fam down at Jurassic Park. Uh, Michael Grange doesn't have to go through. I mean, he might have to go through customs, but he doesn't have to go through the rain to do his job. He joins us now from the floor at the Wells Fargo Center. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Mr. Grange, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Warm and dry. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, all right. So I, I honestly thought, and, and maybe, this, maybe this is a tad of hyperbole, but I thought the Scotty Barnes checking in had Willis Reed-like vibes, that the crowd giving him the ovation and the way he was able to impact that game, uh, even without being able to shoot the basketball all that well, Michael made it a no-brainer that if he was okay, he would be in the starting lineup. He is indeed in the starting lineup, according to Nick Nurse. Can he be the difference maker? I think he can. I mean, the last time he played in this building, he had a near triple-double in just 32 minutes before Joel Embiid tried to separate his ankle from his lower leg, or didn't try to, but did by accident. Um, just watching him in here in pregame today, and, you know, he was throwing down dunks on Big Cat. That's always a good sign when you're throwing down dunks on Big Cat <laughs> in the pregame. And uh, so he definitely looks... I think after Saturday, he was a little stiff and sore, as you might expect, but uh, had Sunday off, all the treatment you, you would anticipate, and uh, you know, got the adrenaline going, and he looked good pregame. So will he be a little more bouncy, a little more aggressive in looking for his own opportunities offensively? Um, I think that's what the Raptors would really dream on uh, for him to make an impact. I agree with you. I think him just playing on Saturday was a contributing factor, another safe pair of hands. You can see the rebound totals. But for him to actually get in a situation where he can cut and put some pressure on the defense, I think that'd be a, a big plus for Toronto. Hey, Michael, I, I don't think we officially know yet, based on what Nick said, whether he's going to go to Ken Birch or Thaddeus Young or Precious Achua in the starting lineup in that, in that center spot. But at the point when it comes to playmaking and, and, and the primary ball handler, I mean, the Raptors have a lot of different options. Obviously, you could run it through Pascal. You can certainly run it through Scotty. Do you see Scotty going back in the starting lineup and being more of that facilitator and having that sort of pressure put upon him to, to fill the shoes? 
Well, I think Scotty, I'm not sure if I heard you perfectly, but I think Scotty is starting. And so it's a question, is it going to be Thad, Precious, or Kim uh, for the other, the five spot, if you want to call it a five spot. I don't even know if you can. <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought the, the nice thing there is, is Nick Nurse has some choice. Uh, Ken Birch gives you a little bit of size against Embiid. That's always a good way to start the game, and we've seen moments where Cam kind of gets a little, gets engaged with the offense a little bit on his roll game and the kickouts. Um, but if that isn't there right away, Preston Sachua, I think, is really showing some confidence, looking a little bit more like the player who finished the regular season. And so that's, he's definitely going to get a big dose of minutes. And of those three, then you have Thad Young. And I thought he was a real difference maker on Saturday. I, don't, I didn't think that. I know that. And the big thing there was the decision making, uh, particularly against the zone that Doc Rivers was sticking with, and he would just cut up in a seam, catch it, and then make a quick, you know, the ball was in and out of his hands real quick, that old-fashioned bounce pass. Uh, Chris Boucher was a recipient of that, and, and I think that's what, in the absence of Fred VanVleet and the fact that the Raptors haven't shot the ball real well, I think, you know, some quick ball movement, some cutting, and, you know, Creating some offense off of, off of those kind of simple old school basketball plays will could be the difference, and I think in that scenario, Thad Young might be your best bet. What was the biggest difference that you saw in Pascal Siakam in Game Four, and do you think he'll be the primary ball handler, or will we see Scotty in that spot as well? I think it will be Pascal, and I, and I think what you had there is just the knowledge that the ball was going to be in his hands and they spread the floor a little bit and gave him room to get to work and, and uh, Pascal I think he fell into a nice comfortable rhythm attacking off the bounce getting fouled he you know he missed some mid shot mid-range shots but he pulled up and hit a few too and I think he'll come into this game based on that game four with a lot of confidence and you know, if he is can step into some of those mid-range shots with some confidence and with a little bit of rhythm, he's shown he can be a big problem for the Sixers. He averaged 30 points a game against them in the regular season. I think uh, with Embiid on him, you know, I think he was a little cautious early. I think in Game Four, he, he posted a little more aggressively, and then after that, I think. Pascal, for good reasons, feels really comfortable, whether it's Tobias Harris or George Yang or, or whatever it might be. So um, I would put the ball in his hands. I would hope that he's going to shoot it with the kind of confidence he showed, and then that opens up him driving to the lane, kicking it out, and I think it's important he gets to the foul line as well. Michael, Nick Nurse, one of the points that he made, and I know you were sitting in the room there listening to him as well, shot-making. Uh, it hasn't been great for the Raptors in long stretches in this series. How much of a factor, might seem obvious, but how much of a factor is that tonight, especially when Pascal might be getting into the lane and drawing those double teams and kicking out? You've got to make your shots, especially those guys like OG and Gary and others that have to take advantage when given those open looks. Here's the problem, Eric. The Raptors are who you thought they are or were or whatever you want to say. They shot 54% effective field goal percentage, or sorry, true shooting percentage in the regular season. They were 27th in the NBA. They're shooting 54% true shooting percentage in the playoffs. They're 15th out of 16 teams. They have always, all season long, been a poor shooting teams. Now, to your point, that doesn't mean every single game they've played, they've shot poorly. So it's time for them to get on one of the rolls. Maybe it's Preston Sachua knocking in four out of seven. Maybe it's Pascal stepping into a couple of threes that are there. Maybe it's Gary Trent Jr. getting off. 
but they are not going to win tonight, and they're certainly not going to win this series if they're clubbing along, making seven, eight threes out of 29 or 30 or 34 attempts. So they've got to up that percentage. Um, the only problem with that is they're kind of shooting the percentages they have all season. So they've got to play a little bit outside themselves in order to get back into this series, and that has to, obviously has to start in game five. Masai has been telling all three of us and anyone who will listen about how this length that's about to start for the Toronto Raptors is what he's dreamed of since watching the dream team play with Coach Shusevsky saying, keep your arms apart and there's no passing lanes and you can't get in. What's the counter from the Philadelphia 76ers? Because I think when Fred Van Vliet left that game in game four, a lot of people just thought jam done, D-U-N done, and it didn't work out that way. So Doc Rivers now has some tape to work with. What do you think the counter is from the Sixers? Well, I think they got to hope uh, two things. Joel Embiid has to continue playing at the level he's at, even though he's got the torn ligament in his thumb. And I thought he was pretty effective offensively, but you saw his rebounding totals weren't great and his turnovers were up. The Raptors are going to test that. And that the way they're going to test that, as you point out, Tim, is with having five, six, nine, six, ten, six, eight guys on the floor causing chaos. I think the other thing that's going to have to happen for them to you know, get the rest they need and hopefully Embiid's thumb can heal up a little bit is Tyrese Maxey has to play like the Tyrese Maxey he played like in Philadelphia for two games when he looked like the best player in the series and on the road a second year player wasn't quite as comfortable so I think those two things if the Sixers have them in their favor that is Embiid playing roughly unaffected by that thumb and Tyrese Maxey playing more like the player we saw in games one and two it's going to be a long night for the Raptors if those things don't happen the pressure is going to shift to Philadelphia. Hey, Michael, on that point, with Fred out of the lineup, clearly you're a better team when your all-star is playing. We all would acknowledge that. However, and this is not to heap it all on him, Maxi getting that first step on Fred getting into the lane a lot, without Fred kind of being hampered by that injury out of the lineup, might the Raptors have a better chance of not stopping, but at least continuing to slow down Maxi and not allowing that dribble penetration? We all know better than to bet against Fred Van Vliet. So anytime Fred Van Vliet was good, would take the floor, you know there's a chance he's going to do something special and he's going to make the best of whatever minutes he has. We've seen it through his whole career. The reality is, as you point out, in the first four, four games of the, of the series, Fred hasn't been Fred. Shooting 28% from the field, struggling with the shot, struggling defensively, and I think in a way, I wouldn't say the Raptors are better because Fred's not there, but it gives them a clear uh, sense of purpose in that they're going to get it done with their length, with their size, with their switchability, and hope that they can they can get enough perimeter shooting to live off some of those turnovers and live off that penetration we're hoping to get from Pascal Siakam. So I think it simplifies things a little bit for Nick Nurse and for the Raptors if the Fred Van Lee, who's been struggling in this series, isn't in the lineup. Sounds like a crazy thing to say. The, the the other way to look at that is you're missing the opportunity for the real Fred Van Vliet to show up and give you some of that uh, perimeter shooting that they so desperately need. Michael, appreciate you as always, and I know you're getting back from sickness. Maybe Nick Nurse has a few of those fisherman friends for you <laughs> that you can throw in there. <laughs> appreciate you, my dude, and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Uh, there is Michael Grange uh, live from Philadelphia. The, the other part of this and I know we're going to get to the uh, to the Jays in just a quick second, but I feel like Scotty Barnes, and, and maybe he won't be 100%, maybe he's not there, but there's this evolution that we have seen throughout the season, 
Eric, and I felt like in game one we were on the verge of maybe seeing, like, I, I was pretty high on him from jump, and he was about to surpass my expectations in that game one when he got hurt. He does everything. Yeah. And he, he doesn't seem bothered by or lost in the moment. No. He can defend. He can rebound. He can make shots. He's got good energy. He's got a good personality. He's a playmaker. Like, and he's 20 years old. Right. I, it's, it's, you know, you get the goosebumps thinking about how good this guy actually could right. be. And the fact that he's there a week after what looked like a season-ending injury, and he's back out there on the floor, and as you said, struggling with the shot, but still bringing in 11 rebounds. Yeah. He's, he could be a major X factor tonight. Big time. If he does that in game five, they got a good shot. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's a huge ask. A huge ask. He had a severe injury that I don't think any of us thought he was going to return in this series, let alone in game four. But if he plays big, they could be coming back for game number six. Raptors Sixers set to do battle in game number five right here on Sportsnet. Toronto without Fred VanVleet. The Sixers get Matisse Dybul back, but they're Goliath in the middle. Joel Embiid has torn ligaments in his thumb. The playoffs are about survival. Do the Raptors have what it takes to survive one more and bring this bad boy home for game six? We're about to find out. Game five coming up on Sportsnet. Lay the remote control down. We got you covered, Toronto, you, Canada, Raptor fans. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Right now on Sportsnet One, Jays and Red Sox. This is a live look. Jose Barrios in some trouble here. Two on, one out. Bobby, Bobby Dahlbuck at the plate. And uh, interesting to see what Barrios does here. What was the show that used to host in the score? Sports Night 360. Oh, the one I did. Yeah. Blue, <laughs> Blue Jays Express. Yes. yes. I was a big fan of Blue yeah. Jays. You want to relive the Blue Jays Well, Express I mean, it, the, the fact that they brought that show on the air, uh, what, seven years ago, I think, when the Jays were supposed to be World Series contenders and then finished last in the division. So I think that's why the show didn't last. I'm, I'm guessing. I hope it wasn't uh, performance related and more Blue Jays performance related. Uh, yes. So uh, two and two now, two on, one away. We'll see if Barrios gets out of it. And if you want to flick over, feel free. Sportsnet One is where you can find the game tonight. Welcome back to this special extended edition of Tim and Friends. Hopefully we don't get canceled. Ahead of game five between the Raptors and the Sixers. Right here on Sportsnet, Raptors trying to make history as the first team in NBA history to come back from a 3-0 series deficit to take the whole enchilada, at least the series. We'll have to do it without Fred Van Vliet, who has been ruled out tonight with a strained left hip flexor. Eric, the hip flexor, uh, I know it's I know it's Freddie. I know he's... They're going to ask me where it's located. I, no, uh, I, I was just going to... like. This is a tough injury, yeah. and it sounds like he might be done for that. Like, they might have to do this 0-3 thing without him. Yeah, I wouldn't count on him making the Scotty Barnes-esque type comeback. Based on everything we've heard, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's there for 6 or 7 if the series goes that far. So you've got to be prepared to do it without him. We know that uh, Faisal's been there for us throughout these playoffs, and he remains there for us. In fact, he's down at Jurassic Park right now. Uh, has the rain let up on your hair at all, Faisal? 
You know what, Tim? It doesn't even matter if it's oh, you hit your hair once. It's affected it forever. So now this hair is a complete write-off. First, I want to apologize. I was told I was yelling in my earlier hit. As you know, Tim, it is very loud in these parts. And so if my voice was also that, I want to apologize to everyone at home. But it's because the energy here is just so, so contagious. The people that are here, and there are admittedly fewer than the usual, given the weather, are so passionate. They're so excited and they're so dedicated to being part of this experience and you know ahead of game three when i did this with you guys i asked everyone their confidence levels and everyone was a 10 or 11 a 7 someone was a 3 but again that was because of me there's no doubt with this fan base right now they are so confident the raptors are going to come back home play in game six and play in game seven they're already making plans to be back here on thursday it doesn't matter what the weather is it doesn't matter what the series is there's no regret not a single person here regrets being in this park today well there might be one person that has a little bit of regret but we're not going to get into that right now as i brush my hair a little bit tim but uh, okay. Even still, the rain being here, I'm soaked. It doesn't matter. Everyone else is going to be here for three more hours minimum, and they could be here all night if it meant the Raptors were going to win. Tim, you already know that. Everyone at home already knows that. I just continue to be impressed with the level of dedication from these fans at the park. Uh, the one problem I don't have being bald, the rain does not affect me the same way it affects <laughs> Faisal Kamisa. Thanks, Faisal. Be good, homie. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, there is Facebook Music down at Jurassic Park. Uh, rain, putting a little damper on the celebrations down there. But as he said, the hardcore is still there. All right, we got about a buck thirty left here, Smitty. What are the keys to a Raptors victory in game number five? Uh, well, let's stay on the the, the 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 wrestling theme, the the toughness theme that we had earlier. I think you have to, perhaps literally, but more so figuratively, deliver the first punch tonight. I don't think you can go out and fall down. Six, let alone eight, 10, 12 plus points. I think you have to be the aggressor from the get-go. I think that if that's the case, if Toronto can set the tone and establish that tone that they're not backing down, that they're here for a fight, I think that will spill over into all facets of the game. But if they get buried, if, they get, if, if they're the ones taking the shots, if the whistle's impacting them, pack it up. Jesse, are we coming home for a game number six? Mm. Sixers-Raptors. Yes. <laughs> there, was, there was some trepidation. There was some eye movement. Yes. Can I, can I caveat it with, with something? Yeah. If Gary Trent has another game like he had in game four, they're coming home. Right. That's an interesting one. And we'll see if Matisse Thybul is, uh, is used a little bit more to slow down Gary Trent because I have a feeling the Sixers are thinking the very same way that Jesse Rubinoff is thinking, and that is that Gary Trent Jr. could hold a key to this game tonight. Thank you, Jesse. Eric, and thank you for tuning in. The truth is, in life and in basketball, adversity is guaranteed. The Raptors know that. One of the reasons we the North hit so hard is because not only do the Raptors know that, their fans know it. We the North was built on that underdog mentality. And look around, so are the Raptors from time. From the unwanted Kyle Lowry, the Knicks vetoing a deal for him to Pascal Siakam. 27th overall, discovered and forgotten several times over. From Chris Boucher, undrafted and waived. 27 before he became a rotation player. To Mr. Bet on Yourself, Fred Van Vliet. 
from a championship team without a lottery pick in the rotation to a one-year rebuild that just shames several squads with high draft pick after high draft pick after high draft pick. So sure, nobody in the NBA has ever come back from 3-0 down. Sure, they're without their lone all-star and point guard. Sure, they're back on the road in one of the toughest places to play on planet Earth against a Goliath and an MVP candidate. But the road is littered with people who have bet against these Raptors and lost. It was Rudy Tomjanovich who once famously said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. Toronto knows it. Canada knows it. Maybe it's about time the rest of the world finds out again. The bruised and battered and scarred Raptors attempt to bring the series back north for game five. Toronto, Philadelphia is now. Raptors Central, take it away.